This is AgriPulse Open Mic. I'm your host, Jeff Nally. Our guest this week is Tim Lust, CEO of the National Sorghum Producers. AgriPulse Open Mic is brought to you by NCIS, the National Crop Insurance Services. Crop insurance, the smartest, most efficient way to secure America's food, fiber, and fuel supply. AgriPulse Open Mic continues with National Sorghum's Tim Lust, next. Today's Open Mic segment is brought to you by America's Crop Insurance Industry, which is thankful for the continued support of farmers, commodity organizations, rural businesses, lenders, and lawmakers who are fighting to maintain a strong farm safety net. Providing individualized protection on more than 300 million acres of farmland, crop insurance remains the smartest, most efficient way to secure America's food, fiber, and fuel supply. This is AgriPulse Open Mic. The nation's farmers and ranchers have struggled with the headwinds of weather, trade disputes, lost income, and now the black swan event, COVID-19. National Sorghum Producer CEO Tim Lust says the event may have a silver lining in the eye of the U.S. consumer. Well, I think that we probably got more consumer education done in three weeks than we've done in the last 20 years. I don't think it's a good way to do it, but I think there are a lot of people really 50 years of age and under that have always taken food supply as a given and taken that for granted because they have never known anything different. And I think that the reality of what has happened recently has certainly changed that. And I think that is something that long-term is a positive for agriculture. Uh, It's unfortunate that we had to come to this to do that, but it is something that I believe is different than what uh, many generations have seen in the past. I realize we're already into 2020, but if I just look at the sorghum producer and I look at the industry that surrounds sorghum production, where are we now approaching the planting and, and during the planting of this new crop? From a crop standpoint, we really had uh, multiple years of record yields the last couple of years. Um, you know, some of the trade stuff is certainly picking up. Then I think just at the grower level, our industry continues to finally get some tools and technology. And so, you know, I think overall, um, I don't want to say things are good because I don't think there's any segment of the U.S. economy or of agriculture right now that, that would use that terminology. But given the current situation, I think sorghum's in a lot better position than a lot. And uh, from that standpoint, we feel good today. Thinking about the crop and total use of the crop, how much of it is domestic and how much of a demand for your crop is the export market? And that's been a really up and down answer. Uh, historically, we would say it was two thirds uh, domestic and one third international. The last six, eight years, it's been two thirds international, one third domestic. This is one of those years where it's going to be a really good question. We started out uh, with tremendous domestic demand and our ethanol industry really pulling hard on our crop at harvest. Certainly, uh, we have seen challenges there. But that for our industry has happened at a time where both from an international export standpoint as well as a domestic feed standpoint, we've seen a strong uptick in demand. We talked to corn, soy, or wheat growers. They'll all say they're enthused and encouraged about China perhaps coming in and making big purchases again. China's already shown an interest in sorghum. 
you know, the good news, bad news for us is we tend to be first and, and tend to kind of show direction on this. Excited to say and report that China in the last six weeks has bought 27% of our crop, you know, and that's really starting halfway through the marketing year. You know, we've got boats loading and, and actually moving and on the water. Certainly from our standpoint, that is a very bright spot. Well, not to dredge up difficult days, but you have had a, a roller coaster relationship with the Chinese. You've fought through tariffs and dumping and countervailing duties, and now there's this phase one deal. Is there hope that trade might become more normalized and you would have a foundation that you could build on? You know, I think that is certainly our hope. We know the demand is there and visiting with our customers in China, and we continue to see that. Obviously, we've been through these roads before, so we're always cautiously optimistic. Uh, but I think when we really look at just the depth of demand and, and what the Phase 1 agreement looks like, you know, it's a very positive sign for sorghum. And, and frankly, it's a very positive sign overall for agriculture. And where we would be really even more excited is as we continue to see the Phase 1 implementation really start impacting beef prices and really start impacting ethanol. And some of those other value-added products for us, too, would just be tremendous in terms of helping our industry and you. U.S. agriculture in the phase one. Uh, Tim, just how big could the Chinese market be? If they've bought close to a fourth of your crop here over the past few days, how big could that Chinese market actually be, and how could that affect sorghum producers and production here in the country? When we talk about that, we look back at 2015 as just an example where uh, they bought almost 80% of our crop, and they bought 80% of our crop while increasing price signals early on and increasing acres, uh, and us adding a million and a half or two million acres during that time. So certainly... They are a very large buyer. I remember a great story and antidote that early on in that time, uh, one of our checkoff execs, Florentina Lopez, had been visiting with them a lot about feeding swine, and that was his background. And uh, the great quote there is, after visiting with one of our large customers for a long time, the customer stopped him and said, I, I really don't understand the question, sir. I, I know sorghum works well in swine, but, but frankly, we we could take your entire crop and it would just about feed our ducks. I think that just puts things in perspective of just how large demand is. And I think we just sometimes get lost in the size and scope of demand. And certainly for an industry, the size of our industry, uh, it can be very meaningful. And so I think we are, are always cognizant of that and, and what impact that can have. Let's talk about other countries and lead that with Vietnam. What opportunities have you seen and do you hope for there? Aquaculture in Vietnam is an area that's just exploding. We've been working on this for several years with several companies in Vietnam and how sorghum fits in there. There's some quality and consumer characteristics that are important in Vietnam that sorghum is a great fit for. Uh, we've done all the research in that. It's really now just working through the phytosanitary process to make sure we get all the approvals. Strangely enough, we don't have approvals to sell into Vietnam. And so we've certainly been working with Vietnamese government and the U.S. government on that. We've had really good meetings over uh, the last few months, and we're very optimistic that here soon that we'll get the green light to start being able to provide product there. And, and that's something that's a, that's a good opportunity, I think, uh, both directions. Let's shift over to policy for a moment and a retro question and then a look ahead. 
How did you fare in the 18 Farm Bill? And if you were writing the 2023 policy now, what would you be looking for? In the uh, last Farm Bill, I think we fared well. Uh, many of our programs were an extension and a continuation of the prior bill. Um, and I think the one big addition for us um, in 2018 was, you know, we've had some challenges in crop insurance. Certainly there was some language in the 18 bill to help work through that, and that is something that we are very appreciative of and continue to work forward with it. You know, I think the 2023 question that you ask is really a focus on resources and dollars. I think there are a lot of people on both sides of the aisle and in the House and the Senate that would say that they might have proposed some different things in 2018 depending upon budgets and and dollars. And I think the real question going forward is, is just exactly what does that look like? You know, I think it's a little early to try to answer and, and forecast where some of these items are going forward. I think a safety net that provides uh, stability for producers is critical. You know, certainly that will be our focus. Do you think that sustainability is going to work its way into new policy? You know, I think there is certainly a huge discussion going on in terms of that in a way it already has when we look at conservation compliance and good farming practices and and a lot of the things in the conservation title and, and even in crop insurance. But there are certainly discussions and opportunities for it to go even further. From a sorghum industry standpoint, we have a crop that whether it is water uh, quality or whether it is wildlife habitat or whether it's carbon uh, sequestration, uh, we certainly have a crop that is a very good fit for sustainability in, in a just about any definition. Certainly, it is one of those areas that we are going to be heavily involved in and continue to focus on because we just think that we have a very environmentally friendly crop uh, that fits very well in the discussion, whatever direction that moves. Do you think that your growers would stand beside compensation for crop practices that might sequester carbon or improve soil health? It's a good question. I think it's a hard question, and exactly what does that look like, and what does that mean? I think, again, we're very supportive of uh, resource-conserving crop rotations language, and in the conservation title of the last bill, for example, was something that our leadership was very supportive of, and, and looking at how I would say that some of the uh, the farm practices tied to really sustainability and soil health and carbon really practically got down to a grower level. So, you know, I think if it's in those contexts, uh, our leadership is certainly supportive in terms of that. I think the question really becomes is, is exactly, you know, what does that look like going forward? And I think we're a little early to know that, but I think to your standpoint and your question, it is a topic that everybody's really focused on, and our board continues to have lengthy discussions on a very regular basis about where we see this policy area moving. In this discussion, you mentioned the 800-pound gorilla in the room, and that's the pay-for of the farm bill. Uh, I recall Senate Ag Chair Pat Roberts who said we got the best bill that we could afford for 2018. So then the question comes now, do you, do you fear that the MFP programs 
that have been offered and that may be offered will work against attitudes toward those that would uh, favor spending still on farm programs? You know, I think we certainly support shoring up a safety net, which certainly has been tested over the last several years. When you look at ad hoc assistance, probably close to $27 billion in unbudgeted assistance over the last several years, it'd really be good to build that into a structured farm program. I think the key component is we talk to our growers and our bankers. Finance is a critical component of this, and, and that's just reliability. Uh, we are we are very appreciative at the grower level of the assistance we've got, but you know under the current programs, uh, the reliability of that and, and knowing where we're at has been tough. And at a time where, frankly, a lot of our input have not dropped and a lot of our cost structure hasn't changed tremendously, but our prices unfortunately have. You know, there's still certainly a need there. And, I, you know, I think there's a lot of smart people uh, that are involved in the policy front uh, on Capitol Hill and in Washington, D.C., and in our commodity organizations. And I think this is a big question going forward of what, what does that look like? Just as you mentioned in Pat Roberts' statement, you know, there are other ways to do things, but it really does take some baseline dollars to do that. And so that's something that I think uh, everybody has to really be asking that question. And it's a very uncertain time. And I think to your credit, bringing the issue up is one that if uh, groups haven't been thinking about, they certainly need to be thinking about it more because uh, it is really serious about where farm policy goes in the future. I want to talk out loud for just a second here. You mentioned conservation programs, and on one side of the country, you've got an issue with too much water. And then on the other side, where a lot of your growers are as well, there's not enough water. So having conservation programs that work with either climate, that's a challenge. It is, and I'll just be truthful to you. I think early on, conservation policy really focused on water quality a lot more than it did water quantity. I'm not saying that was wrong. I just think that that's where it was. And you know, I think for our growers and our members, certainly water quantity is a huge issue. Oh, it's a challenge there in many cases of what is a federal level issue, what is a state level issue, what is a local level issue. And certainly we acknowledge that. But I think, you know, there's a lot of opportunities in a conservation title that we can do better at addressing some of those items and really working through those. It is certainly something that, you know, we don't see this as you, you go from, you know, monoculture of, of one commodity to monoculture of another commodity. I think we're true believers in a systems approach and how do you have a crop rotation plan? How do you have conservation policy that ties in that allows us to continue to stretch the resources that we have and get the most out of them while being good stewards of the land and good stewards of the water? The renewable fuels industry has certainly been challenged during this coronavirus pandemic. Corn farmers are seeing reduced demand for the feedstock. Is it affecting sorghum as well? Early on, we were blessed with a really good sorghum crop in Kansas, and our ethanol plants very aggressively bought sorghum at harvest and all the way through winter. That allowed them to be probably among some of the more profitable plants, even even when the whole industry was struggling. But certainly the oil situation and the challenges with coronavirus has really changed everything. I think the one thing that I would say is is that, one, 
A lot of our plants do sell wet distiller's grain directly into the cattle feeding industry, and so they have strong demand on their feed product side. The other side of it is, is in some cases, some of our ethanol plants have had a, a very strong opportunity to even sell some of their sorghum back to the market to China. So I think it's one of those things that our sorghum ethanol plants, for the most part, are well-positioned and, and strong to last. But we have to be honest, it's just an incredibly difficult time for the ethanol industry and certainly have to look at what can be done there to help weather the storm uh, that is certainly uh, very significant at this point in time. A candid question for you, uh, a statement and then a question. Sorghum, like wheat, hasn't really embraced genetic modification of crops. Is that costing you acres? You know, I think it cost us acres for a few years, there's no doubt. I think we have actually seen some opportunities with it, and certainly there's some niche markets uh, domestically and internationally that we have picked up. But by the same token, I want to be very clear what our position is on technology. Both our, our association as well as the United Circuit Checkoff Program have held a joint position on seed innovation for a long time. We're big supporters and big fans, and so we have constantly been working with USDA and other partners on a broad range of breeding innovations, and particularly gene editing to be able to bring new technologies to our crop that are attractive to consumers and really allow our farmers to overcome production and crop protection challenges with fewer inputs. So from our standpoint, it is something that is definitely a big issue to our industry. What would you ask for of government or what do you hope for regarding the regulation of gene edited crops? We're really encouraged by the direction USDA is going and and we look forward to a final rule on part 340, hopefully later this spring. USDA's approach will really encourage innovation and appropriately acknowledge that these advances like CRISPR technology in particular are are really essential to the extension of conventional breeding and frankly will allow a crop like us to bring new varieties to the market much faster and more efficiently than ever before. Frankly, the regulatory costs of transgenics was something that was a very steep wall for an industry our size. And so these traits are certainly something that our growers want. They're certainly something that our private industry companies would like to provide. And, you know, we're very appreciative of where USDA is on this. I would say that particularly as it relates to pest and disease resistance, we're going to need EPA to follow USDA's lead on this and, and realize that this is not a one agency issue and, and that we have to have policy across multiple agencies that works at the grower level and works at the company level. But we're optimistic and appreciate the movement that we've had recently in this area and will continue to push hard to get it across the finish line. Tim, a few weeks ago, we had Bayer's Brett Begeman on the program. Uh, And I asked him the question, and I'll bring this for you as well. How frustrating, from a grower perspective, to be anticipating new products from industry and then watch industry face legal battle after legal battle over products that were approved decades ago and are now steadfast tools that producers of multiple crops have counted on for so many years? It's extremely frustrating, and it gets personal for the sorghum industry. We've had our own battle in this area. You know, I was telling growers 10 years ago that we would have a product on the market very quickly for over-the-top grass control, and 
and then it didn't happen. And, and the legal process and the legal situation, it's tied up a tremendous amount of resources. It slowed the whole system down, and it's something that now I would love to tell you I see a, a clear solution and timeline and process of how this is better. Uh, I think in a couple of areas it is, but overall we still got big challenges there, and it's just very frustrating. Tim Lust, we want to thank you. In the midst of a busy season from a policy standpoint and about to be busy in terms of the crop planting season for taking time to spend with us on this edition of Open Mic. Tim, it is Open Mic, and you get the last word today. You know, as I've thought about what I'd say there, there were opportunities to say something from an industry standpoint, but I, I think it's uh, really appropriate at this time of everything that's going on to really think about, as Americans and as agriculture, where we are. And some of those final open mic thoughts is uh, fear is a liar. And I think a lot of us in agriculture were raised to remember and believe that tough times don't last, but tough people do. And we continue to pray for wisdom and safety and all that's going on at this time. But we also have to have faith that there are better days ahead and that we will get through this. And uh, there is there's there's good things on the other side. So uh, we're going to insist that we stay positive and we're going to move forward. Our thanks to National Sorghum Producer CEO Tim Lust, our guest this week on Open Mic. AgriPulse Open Mic is brought to you by NCIS, the National Crop Insurance Services. Crop insurance, the smartest, most efficient way to secure America's food, fiber, and fuel supply. For AgriPulse, I'm Jeff Nally.